I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You are the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live. Randy Robinson here. Good to have you guys today, and we're going to hit one of those core things, one of those things that seems deep, but uh, it's 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 just a part of the Christian life, and that's this idea of, of theology. What, what do you believe? Uh, how can you explain it to someone else effectively uh, and in a way that uh, has compassion? We cannot forget that. It is good news, after all. Um, but we've got uh, someone here to help me a little bit with this. She is a, an author, a speaker, a host of what's called the Verify Podcast, and she has a new book called Every Woman a theologian, and I looked at this, and ladies, yes, uh, this does definitely include you, but it's true for all of us. <laughs> I was reading it going, oh, wait, this says every woman on the cover. It's like, no, all of us, so it, it's good, but I, I appreciate her angle on this in reminding women who have often been uh, marginalized in the church, unfortunately, that they are theologians as well. They can communicate the gospel to other people, and they are. we are all called uh, in Christ, there is no male or female, and I think it applies in this area. Maybe we'll get into that. But my, my guest uh, today is Felicia Masonheimer. Uh, she joins us from, uh, it says northern Michigan. Is where, How far up in the ice and, and snow are you? <laughs> <laughs> Very deep in the ice and snow, for sure, and about an hour and a half south of uh, northern Ontario border. So basically Canadian. <laughs> okay, well, I hope you had a nice pancake day yesterday then, if you're... <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's jump into uh, this this idea. And before we get some of the specifics, give me kind of an overview of what you're doing, what you're trying to communicate to people in this. Well, the thing I think we forget is that all of us, everyone who's a Christian, already has a theology, right? We already want to understand the nature of God and who Jesus is. We have assumptions about how God works in the world and in us. And all of those things are theological because theology is just the study of the nature of God. And so if you're a Christian, you already have a theology. The question is whether the assumptions we have about God are actually lining up with what the Bible says, since that is what guides us and what directs us into the truth about God and about ourselves. And so I have the privilege of teaching mainly women, but also some men and children about what it means to be a theologian every day. If you're not going to seminary or you're not in ministry, what does it mean to take seriously the things we believe about God and how does that affect us in our daily lives? Do you think sometimes we're guilty, um, you know, those who are just ordinary people, guilty of kind of taking that theologian title and putting it off on others as if they're the experts, they're the ones that need to teach other people, they're the ones that explain. And I appreciate education. I mean, Paul made a point about women not teaching because they were the uneducated ones of the time in that particular church. Um, but do, do we shirk our responsibilities, do you think, sometimes? I think we do. I think often what happens is we assume that the only people who need to be preaching, teaching, and explaining the gospel and the Bible are those who are in formal ministry. Mm -hmm. But Jesus said that we were all to go and make disciples. He assumed that 
all people would be sharing about him. And that means we need to know enough to be able to explain the gospel and the Christian life effectively as individuals. So we're basically all in ministry in a way. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah, we all need to be able to communicate, give a defense for the hope we have, as Peter said. Yeah, um, I, I think sometimes we think if we don't know everything, then we're not qualified. How much is enough? Mm, that's a great question. I think we have to remember that everybody is always learning and growing and expanding in their faith and in their understanding of scripture. Even the scholars um, who we need, those people in formal ministry who are in academia, who are teaching on these things, they're still growing too. And so their work is valuable to those of us who aren't as educated as they are, but we're all still growing in our understanding and our study of the word. And so it's not like we have this point where we arrive in our knowledge of God. Mm. We need to see this as a lifelong, exciting adventure with God of coming to know him better and getting better at explaining his truth to other people. I'm curious how you handle I mean, so I, I finished up, I went to public school most of my life, but I finished at a private Christian school, went to Oral Roberts University, uh, where we took Bible classes and things like that. But I had a communications degree. Uh, and I, I haven't gone to any kind of, haven't had any formal theological training. I've been studying my whole life. Uh, I find that the more I study, uh, and I'm, I'm in the middle of this right now, it, uh, the more I almost realized how much I don't know. <laughs> you know right. right. You should be experienced that one. Uh, and that's fine. And also I run into, okay, there are, theologians, you know, well-studied, respectable people who don't necessarily agree on uh, interpretation and definitely not application of, of scriptures. Um, how do we not get so bogged down sort of in the weeds of theology that we're still effective in communicating the basics? Mm -hmm. I think this really comes back to understanding what of Christianity makes up the core, the absolute essentials that you have to adhere to to be able to call yourself a Christian. Dr. Albert Moeller calls this theological triage, where you're basically looking at the core Christian realities and truths, the things that we have in our creeds, the things that Acts 15 describes as the essential Christian behaviors of the early church. Those are the things that we look at for the core. Now, it doesn't mean that the second, you know, secondary issues or preferential issues don't matter because they do, but then we're able to give a lot more grace for differences of practice mm -hmm. when we know what theological issues are hills to die on. And especially in today's culture with how divisive it is and how quick we are to, you know, make judgments about absolutes, if you will. Mm -hmm. I think it's so important that we know these are the absolute essentials of Christianity. This is what makes up that, you know, trunk of the tree, if you will. And then everything else, those are the branches of the tree. And when we understand that, I think it's a lot easier to communicate the, the essentials and then slowly kind of walk alongside people for the other theological issues. So you've, you've been around, you, uh, uh, you've got a degree from Liberty university. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you've, you know, You've probably been around to see those who are without love, and so they're basically that clanging symbol, you know? It's just noise. Uh, and I'm 
old enough and been around enough that it's just annoying to me. Uh, and and it, it's really a turnoff. So sort of the other component to this, I think, is, is learning how to love people. And as someone in the audience comments, just plant the seed and God will water it. Um, do we really, I mean, how much theology do we need to know if we effectively just love people and tell them that God loves them? Can't he do the rest? I'm, I'm setting this up a little bit, but you, I think you understand what I'm going at. Yeah, I do. I think what you just described is a question that a lot of people in today's culture are asking. Mm. But really, when we say, can't we just love people? We're asking a theological question. <laughs> How does God define love? What does point. it mean to love someone? You know, yeah. How does God define love? So in the book of First John, it says that God is love, but our culture says the reverse. Love is God. Ooh. So God is not equal to love. He completely encapsulates love and he's also completely holy and completely just. And we can't separate his holiness and his justice from his love. So this all sounds, you know, maybe super intellectual, but it really is important when someone says, how can I, you know, talk about the gospel with people if my responsibility is just to love them? We have to remember that Jesus had to die for a reason, right? He wanted us to experience his love. That's why he died. Mm. But to make it possible for us to experience his love, he also had to be perfectly holy and he was perfectly just. And that's why he died on the cross, was to fulfill the need for justice. We can trust God's love because he is completely just. He's holy. It's mm. unchanging. If he wasn't just and holy. His love could change. He could be like the Greek gods that we read about, you know, who are always doing yeah. something ridiculous and they're untrustworthy and they can turn their back on you or change their mind. But we know our God is perfectly loving because he's holy. And that means that we're responsible to communicate both his love and his truth at the same time. Great, great answer, by the way. And, and that's, I think you're spot on. Um, what are the big questions that you think people, or that you address in the book, which I'm guessing are the ones that people often discuss uh, and that we kind of need to know? Well, I think a lot of times when we talk about theology, people think that's far off, it's not relevant to me. And they don't realize just how many questions they interact with every day that are theological. So mm. if someone tells you, like the question you just asked, that's an example, but if someone says, Oh, of course I'm a Christian. I go to church every week or I go to church on Easter and Christmas. That's a, a theological question. What makes a Christian a Christian? Can you be born one? If you're baptized as a baby, does that mean you automatically become one? Those are things that we encounter day to day that we should be able to answer because we can't always refer someone to a pastor, right? Or send them an article. And so asking questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? Yeah. Or what's the purpose of life or why am I alive? Any of these things are theological questions and the Bible really does answer them because I think God is so gracious. He wants to allow us, he encourages us to use our minds in seeking him. I think that's pretty sweet. How, how do you, how do you address the issue? Well, you mentioned, you know, baptism. Okay. So we got infant baptism. We've got submersion as an adult. We've got this age of accountability, which is not laid out in scripture, it's just sort of drawn from that is pretty ambiguous. Um, 
and then you've got you know the passages that don't mention baptism as essential to salvation and the whole split over that and we've got all these what you call individual threads uh in sort of theology and tradition um mm-hmm. and those can be i mean i get I just read the comments on on YouTube or something, you know. I, I I get hit with these different ones. Oh, you're not a Christian because of this, you know. It's um frustrating at times, but it yeah. could be confusing to an outside person going, "Now wait a minute. All these people call themselves Christians, but they can't even agree on these things." Mhm. Uh, how do you address those? Well, let's go back to that idea of the core doctrines. Every Christian tradition agrees baptism is essential. To continue with that example, we all say the Bible's pretty clear, repent and be baptized. Now, whether you do that as an infant or you do that as an adult, whether it actually saves you or it's a symbol of your salvation, yeah. there are different views. Right, right. But every Christian tradition is going to have some kind of baptism. So the core portion is baptism, right? Like repent and be baptized. Okay. When it moves from core to secondary is the question of how. How do I walk out this concept? How do I specifically do this in a church construct? And so that's where we see the diversity of denominations. Now, I've attended or been a member of at least 10 denominations over the course of my life. <laughs> you and, me both. and perhaps because of that, I have a lot of affection for the diverse ways that God uses the church. And I think we have to remember that denominations sometimes are a reflection of division, but they also are used by God in really powerful ways to reach individual people and nations and cultures in ways that we don't always expect. That someone may be reached by a Presbyterian church in a really unique way, and they might be reached by a Baptist church in a really unique way, and they might have different ways of going about things like baptism, but God can still use them to bring people to his heart. And I think we just have to remember that in the conversation. I think you're right. And I think we need to go back and just remember the goodness of God. You know, uh, he's He's a good God. He's not the mean legalistic father that a lot of people want to make him out to be. And I agree with you 100% on the denominations. I've, I'm, I'm a Presbyterian now. Thanks for mentioning us. But I'm Cumberland <laughs> Presbyterian, not PCA or one of those other ones that are straight. So even you get into that, it's crazy. But I think you're right because, I mean, I know people— uh, you know, or, or, or Roberts University. I know people that need to feel that they they rely heavily, I think too heavily, but whatever, on experiential things. You know, and then like I know other people. You know, I interviewed someone yesterday, uh, recently that's in John MacArthur's church, and they adhere to scripture. I mean, and sometimes I think almost doggedly. You know, but they have a real they. I appreciate their value of of the word, and I think you're right in that God can and does uh, often use the, those as the things that people need. You know, yeah. uh, someone's suffered trauma, they need a, a very feeling-oriented experience. Someone who's struggling with concepts maybe needs to really focus on the Word. Some people love the traditions and the old hymns, uh, the liturgy. Others love the contemporary worship. I, and I, I, there's this old complaint about being a church on every street corner and I was always like, why do you say that? Like, it's a bad thing. It's a fabulous mm-hmm. thing, you know, um, different flavors for different people and wherever you're at in your life. I, I so yeah. I, I, I kind of take your view on that and, and I appreciate that. 
Um, that was my long ramble. I want to show people the book again. It's called Every Woman a Theologian. Know what you believe. Live it confidently. Communicate it graciously. I love the title. By the way, I, I was on the PR stuff. I was a little confused. Is it out now or is it coming out next week? It comes out next week. Yep. Okay. One more week. Pre-orders? Are they doing? They're doing well. Pre-orders are doing well. We're okay. really excited to the response. Okay. So yeah. you so you can actually pre-order. For anybody watching, yep. uh, if you're watching it before, it's on the shelves. Or mm-hmm. Do we even have shelves anymore? I don't know. You can order it now. You'll get it <laughs> next week. Um, I want to ask you about the title, though, uh, because you do focus on women. Uh, mm-hmm. And is that intentional or is this just sort of your your niche? I started out writing to women on biblical sexuality, actually, and then expanded to begin discussing theology and bibliology as a whole. And because I started out in a very kind of tender topic um, specific to women, I've kind of concentrated there. But I do also have men in my audience and men who have read and endorsed the book. And so I have a little bit of a mixture, but most of what I do is directed towards women. Yes. So <laughs> what what kind of, what denomination are you in now, if you don't mind me asking? Now I am in, um, it's hard to say, whenever I want to say non-denominational, I, I kind of want to say, but basically Baptist. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, non-denominational um, church plant and a church planting network. Um, but I have had experience in charismatic, yeah. Southern Baptist, PCA, Methodist, oh. Anglican, and more. <laughs> no, nice. No, I'm just curious. I, that's what my previous church for almost 20 years was a Southern Baptist plant. Uh, mm. And, and the, the difference, I bring that up because when we moved uh, almost two years ago, we started looking for a more local church and visited a bunch of different churches, a lot of good churches. Um, but we ended up in this Cumberland Presbyterian. And the thing that is a theological thing that uh, differentiates them from a lot of denominations, certainly from the Southern Baptists, is that they will ordain women. Uh, mm. And so the first time we attended, there was an associate pastor who was a woman who was preaching. And this is one of those big division things, you know, um, can men learn from women? Should women teach mm-hmm. from the pulpit? Uh, mm-hmm. and I, I'm okay with it. I'm okay reading your book and learning from you. You know, I think I, so I, I, is there any intentionality in that with you in, in the idea of women being theologians? I generally don't engage much with the debate about women in the pulpit or women um, doing ministry for a couple of reasons. Obviously, I have my own stances um, and my my church is aware of my stances and they've been very supportive of my ministry, including encouraging me to teach and encouraging to use, me to use my gifts. Um, but I believe that when we look at scripture, it talks about the Great Commission, right, in Matthew 28, mm-hmm. it says, go and make disciples of all nations. And we know that at Pentecost, it was a mixture of disciples who were both men and women, and both men and women prophesied and proclaimed the gospel yeah. at Pentecost, and 3,000 people came to Christ. I think whenever we talk about women preaching and teaching, we have to look at it through that overall context, that in the Bible, repeatedly, women were in the role of prophet Mm -hmm. and worship leader and prayer warrior, even if they're not in the exact elder role that you see outlined in Titus and Timothy, we see them doing a lot of other things. And that's something that that we can then honor biblically. 
And I think the more women understand their significant role in the church and take that seriously, I think the more we will see both men and women working together to spread the gospel and truly bring people to know how good our God really is. Yeah. When uh, Jesus rose from the grave, the first one he told was a woman, which in the Jewish culture was kind of a big deal. And she went and told the men. And uh, (laughs) as usual, they didn't believe her. (laughs) I think it's interesting that almost all the first witnesses were women. John four, the woman at the well that evangelizes the city, the Samaritan city. She was a woman. You have um, when Peter was released from prison and he came to the house where everyone was praying for him to be released. A woman was the first witness to that miracle. Mm -hmm. Women were the first witness to Jesus raising from the dead. You know, it's, it's beautiful how he cares enough about us to in every culture continue to give us the privilege of proclaiming his truth. Yeah, and I think that's largely the point of Christ is that he's not here to put others down. He's here to lift everyone up. Uh, You know, the Jews were the favored, and he came and lifted the Gentiles up. The Samaritans were the outcasts, and he came and lifted them up. The women were oppressed in the culture of his time, and he came to lift them up. I, I think if we go at it with that remembrance of posture, of he's bringing all to him, he's lifting everyone up, uh, I think it helps clarify some of our positions. Mm-hmm. Again, you're getting yeah. me on my soapbox. I'm trying not to do this. <laughs> uh, la- last question, maybe. Um, and I appreciate the conversation. I find these fascinating and helpful, liberating. Uh, were there any, if you had any of those sort of theologically formative events or changes or shifts as, as you've gone through this? I think we all we all do over time, so it's not that big of a question, but I'm curious what they were with you. Um, as I was writing this book and as I've been, you know, running every woman, a theologian, our ministry, mm-hmm. I think some of the biggest shifts for me have been just an urgency to help people understand the Holy Spirit and the role that he takes in empowering Christian life. I think whether you grow up in a charismatic context, say, for example, or you grow up in maybe a Baptist context um, or anything in between, a lot of churches really have a tendency toward a weak pneumatology or a weak theology of the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by that is in charismatic context, which is the primary tradition I grew up in for the first part of my life, in charismatic context, we often talk about the Holy Spirit only in terms of the sensational and the big miracles and the healings and things like that, the feelings, the emotions, but we don't talk about him in terms of his primary role, which is sanctifying us and making us into the image of Christ and Mm. bearing the fruit of the spirit. Mm. But then on the other hand, I spent a lot of time in the Southern Baptist culture there. There's not as much talk about the Holy Spirit at all. It's kind of like the father, the son, and the Holy word. (laughs) And so who don't really hear about him and what he does. And yet Jesus said, it's better that I go because you will receive the Holy Spirit. And so just studying through that, writing that chapter in the book, really strengthened my resolve to continue teaching on that topic in a way that's balanced like the Bible is, because I have people from both those charismatic worlds and those other denominational worlds to steward. And I just hope they come to that biblical balance of walking by the Spirit. Oh, I love that. And, you know, I, 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 for people that gr- have grown up in a singular church culture, I think it's healthy to go visit others and see how they worship. Not so you can find out what's wrong with them, 
but it, to say, okay, what, what, what draws them? How are they drawn to God through this? And what can I maybe learn to appreciate? I mean, that's been a lot of my life experience, uh, is, is kind of looking at the other side and going, okay, what, what is here? And, and you see some things that you go, you know, I just don't, I don't see that, or I, I don't agree with that. And that's okay mm-hmm. too. But I think there is value in getting sometimes outside of our own bubbles or, mm-hmm. you know, church bubbles. Absolutely. So that's very cool. All right. I'm going to show people your website real quick. This is FeliciaMasonheimer.com, a URL that was probably easy to get, but that no one can spell. So, <laughs> 100% true. <laughs> <laughs> um, not saying anything you don't know. Uh, so, but yeah, FeliciaMasonheimer.com. And you know, every woman, a theologian might be the easier one to find if you're looking for it. If you're listening on the audio portion of this, I can spell it for you. It is long. Um, but uh, I want to give you the last word, whether it's you're telling people about things that you're doing or just sort of encapsulating the book. Um, what do you want to end us with? Well, I would just encourage anyone who is listening to know that you're already a theologian. You already have a theology. And just ask yourself, do you feel confident to share Jesus with other people? Because he has commanded us to do that. So if he's commanded us to do it and we're not doing it, we have to ask why. And a lot of times we just don't feel ready or equipped. And if that's you, there are so many great resources out there. But I also did write this book to be a tool for men and women who want an introductory level um, exposure to Christian theology and how to actually share it with other people. So I really pray that it's a blessing to many. And I'm so thankful that you had me on. Oh, absolutely. And I appreciate you equipping the saints. We need to be equipped and we can be. People don't need to fear it. We are called to do it. You can do it. You don't have to do it perfectly. Uh, you, that's what that's what God comes in and fills in the gaps for you. <laughs> exactly. But, right? So. Beautiful. All right. I love it. Thank you again, Felicia. We appreciate your time. Appreciate you being here. Thank you. Be sure to check out the Verify podcast and go ahead and pre-order every woman a theologian, even if you're a man. I actually, truly, I, I enjoyed, uh, I got a PDF of the, of the book and I, I started reading it and I kept reading. I was like, this is good. It's equipping us. We can do it and I'll help you. So come back. We've got more for you here next time on Life Today Live. Some people get enthusiasm, they imagine it's the Holy Spirit. They want to live the way they want to live and have the Holy Spirit as a bit of uh, something extra. The Holy Spirit must be Lord.